Happy Easter, everybody. How are we doing today? Yes, it is. Thank you. I appreciate it in the front row. Good to have everybody here. Happy Easter. Welcome. If this is your first time here, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, for some of you, I am seeing your faces for the first time in over a year. And uh, it's great to see your faces again in this room. Uh, so uh, we're glad you're here, whether this is your first time or you've been a part of Journey. Man, everybody that's at home watching today, we are glad that you are hanging out with us as we celebrate Easter together today. Hey, as I get started, uh, I told you last week I got some big news. So I'm going to go ahead and just cut right to the chase. Here's the big news. Sunday, June the 6th. We will have kids' classes again here at The Journey. Yeah. I know some of you are like, that's too soon. We hear you. And some of you are like, that's way too late. We hear you too. Man, we have, <laughs> you knew all the stuff that we've been dealing with, trying to figure this out. Uh, we spent a lot of time, had a lot of conversations. One of our biggest things is just making sure we have volunteers that are ready to go. Uh, Pre-COVID, if you haven't been a part of the journey before, pre-COVID, there are about 200 kids downstairs between three services every single Sunday. That took about 170 volunteers per month to make that happen. Now, when we start back, we don't expect 200 kids to show up the first week, okay? We're going to let you know that. But we just wanted to be sure we had volunteers in place. And uh, a lot of the volunteers said, hey, once we start getting vaccines and some social distancing stuff changes, we're ready to go. Um, so we are, we are set that date. We are getting all the plans together, putting all the logistics, finalizing that. But if you're a parent, go ahead and put that on your calendar for June 6th, kids' classes again. Yes. One more thing, real quick. Next week, we want you to come back, all right? Uh, new series, Confessions of a Pastor. So for four weeks, I'm going to share with you some confessions I have, okay? You're going to want to come back, I promise. All right. Uh, got a son. His name is Jake. He likes to ask me this question all the time. He's like, Dad, how many fights have you been in in your life? Now, there's the dad answer, right? Thousands, son. <laughs> one every single one of them. And then there's the truth, which I tend to give, I think, more often than the dad answer. It's like, actually, none. I have been in zero fights in my entire life. The only fighting I've ever done is with my two younger brothers, because that's what we do, right? We fight our siblings. And uh, my middle brother specifically, we, we had some wars. Uh, to, to the point, one time I thought my room was going to turn into a smaller room with its own toilet and window in it because of the battle that was happening. The funny part is both of us are lead pastors in churches now, so uh, parents, there's still hope for, for your kids. Some of you, though, you grew up fighting, right? Uh, you definitely fought your siblings. Some of you may still fight your siblings. Uh, maybe you fought in your neighborhood. You fought in your community. And there are reasons for that fighting. Uh, it could have been anger issues, uh, but it may have been survival. It could have been that you had some deep, really, insecurities that were there, and you were trying to mask it from uh, everybody else by showing that you were stronger. But I'm guessing if you look back at those battles and those fights that you had growing up, it's really dumb stuff. And more than likely, you've got these incredible regrets from, from these fights that took place. Today, we're going to finish up this series called The Revolution. And if you haven't been here over the past four weeks, we're looking at the greatest revolutionary ever. This guy named Jesus. Uh, we know there's been revolutionaries that have done pretty incredible things for countries and regions and people and uh, social issues. We, we know that. But Jesus is actually the greatest revolutionary of all time because Jesus' revolution affects all of humanity. 
And so today we're going to finish this series by talking about this, this fight, this battle that you and I are in every single day. And as we celebrate Easter together this morning, we're going to look at an event in the life of Jesus that shows us why Easter is so important. But I'm going to go ahead and let you know, this is not normal scripture that you usually read on, on Easter Sunday, okay? If anybody else is doing this anywhere in the world today, I would be very, very surprised. Um, but this, this, this passage is so powerful because it tells us why Easter is important. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 11. It's where we're going to spend most of our time today. Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 14, it says, One day Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed, but some of them said, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Others trying to test Jesus demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. Again, nobody else is probably preaching on this passage today, but here we go. So we've got this man, and he can't speak. Now, we're guessing this is probably his whole life. Uh, we don't know the cause of why he cannot speak. We know he can't speak, and yet Jesus shows up in his life and changes that. Je Jesus sets him free from this, this burden he's been carrying his whole life, and now this guy can, can speak. Now, if you go back and you look at that, look at the response of the crowds. They're amazed. They can't believe what they've just seen. Now, they probably know this guy from, from his whole, for his whole life. So they, they've seen him since he was a baby, not being able to talk. And they're like, man, this is incredible. This is amazing. This is a miracle. But there's another group there. If you look at Matthew and Mark, two other books that retell the, the life events of Jesus, you're going to find that they give us a little bit more detail here. Uh, they talk about these religious leaders are there too. Guess what their response is? Their response isn't, this is a miracle, this must be from God. Their response is, Jesus must be working with Satan, all right? Now that word that's used here, that title, Satan, if you actually look it up, it means Lord of the Flies, which is a really uplifting, wholesome book and movie to watch, right? Um, but even a better one, I love this, this definition of this title better. It's Lord of Dung. All right? This is who we're talking about here. These religious leaders, they miss this miracle that's happening, and they're blaming this on, they're saying that this is happening because Jesus isn't from God. Jesus is connected to the Lord of Dung. Now, why are they jumping into this fray? Well, because Jesus is causing people to look away from, from them. Their lifestyle, the way they make money is, and the way that they have what they have is because they control the people. And Jesus is challenging that. He's bringing about this incredible religious revolution. But Jesus is in the way. And then we read this in verse 17. It says, he, it's talking about Jesus, knew their thoughts. So he said, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say I'm empowered by Satan, but if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. This crazy part here is that Jesus doesn't actually hear them say this. Um, Jesus knows this is what they're thinking in their minds. Now, maybe they're back in the corner kind of chatting a little bit, but he can't hear this. Jesus is like the school teacher who knows exactly what you're doing. Like back in the day, we had chalkboards, right? Now it's smart boards. But when they're up at the chalkboard and they're writing stuff down and they can call you out even without turning their heads. 
They have eyes in the back of their heads. It's kind of like what Jesus is doing here. He's calling them out on this. But again, Jesus is this incredible verbal tactician too. Here they are. They're questioning Jesus and about where his power is coming from. And he throws it back at them. He's like, all right, all right. You're, you're connecting me to the Lord of the dunk, all right? Well, here, let, let me help you out a little bit. In the Jewish faith, um, you had a group of priests that were kind of like ghostbusters, all right? Uh, there was an exorcist team. They had a job, too, and they would go out and, and do these certain things to help try to get demons out of people and all this kind of crazy stuff. And Jesus is like, well, if you're saying that I'm connected to the Lord of Dung, <laughs> what does this mean about you? Because you've got people doing the exact same thing. Jesus is trying to tell them, listen, this is from God. And then he says this in verse 20. He says, but if I am casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For when a strong man is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe. Until someone even stronger attacks him, overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. This is the plot of every action movie there is out there, right? You've got the bad guys, and the bad guys, they've got all the power, and they've got the weapons, and they've got the fortified palace, and they've got the money, and they've got the goods, and they, they feel protected. They, they feel like no one's going to hurt us. We're in control. And then, boom, the heroes show up. Superman comes swooping in. Wonder Woman flies in. Black Panther jumps in. And as we know how the story goes, the good guys beat the bad guys. The superheroes kick their booties, right? And, and they win this, this battle. As Jesus is having this conversation with them, he says, you know, Satan, Lord of Dung, thinks he's in control. He's got the power. But the reality is Jesus was sent, or God has sent me to this earth to rule over it. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to overpower Satan. I'm going to take over. Because Jesus was sent to change everything. But I love these words that Jesus says in verse 23. It says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. I, I want to spend the rest of our, our time focused on those words in verse 23. Because uh, that really is what the Easter story is all about. In fact, I want to go back to the Easter story a little bit. And there's a passage in there that um, may have skipped over. We don't, uh, we don't talk about it a whole lot. We think we kind of have it figured out. And I'm not saying I have it figured out, but I want to look at it a little bit differently than we normally do. Uh, Jesus has been tried. Uh, this guy named Pilate's kind of in charge of all of this. And he's busy, man. Pilate's got like 2 million people, Jewish people that are there to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. He's trying to make sure that no riots break out and no, no crazy stuff happens. This is his main job. And so he's kind of been given this, this, this one guy that's in his mind kind of insignificant, this guy named Jesus. And he's been asked to try Jesus. And he's like, I, I can't find anything wrong with him. And yet the people are still yelling at him. They're still like, hey, you got to get rid of this Jesus guy. He's causing problems. And Pilate's like, I, I really don't know what you're talking about. But Pilate's busy. He's got other things to do, more important things to do. And so he comes up with this plan. He's like, I'm going to go to the people, and I'm going to let them choose. And so he's like, here's the deal. I got this guy named Jesus, and you can choose to set him free. And I'm thinking Pilate's probably thinking in his mind, this is an easy no-brainer. They're going to let this guy go. 
But then he brings out this other guy and he's like, hey, here's this guy named Barabbas and here's the deal with him. If you choose him, I'll let him go too. Well, guess what? The people choose Barabbas. And here's what I will tell you. We can look back at that 2,000 years ago and think, why did they do that? Why didn't they choose Jesus? I can promise you if we were there in that moment, we'd have chosen Barabbas too. Now, the reason is pretty simple. Barabbas was a revolutionary. He was an insurrectionist. He was causing problems for the Roman government that was there. And so he believed in something that the people believed in too. And Jesus was different. A week earlier, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem and when he arrives there, he comes in like a king, right? He's, he's riding this donkey, and they're throwing down coats, and they're throwing down palm branches, and he's riding on this donkey across that, and they're singing all these kingly, royal songs to Jesus. Why? They think he's coming into town. They think he's coming into this city during Passover week to lead this incredible revolution against the Roman Empire so they can get their land back, so they can get their city back. So that people are excited about that. But here we are a week later and we look at Jesus and what do we find? He's been captured. He's been beaten. He's been bruised. He's, he's chained up. And he's not yelling for the people to revolt, right? He's not like, hey, revolt, go against these people. He's not even screaming back and forth with the leaders in place. He's actually pretty calm for everything that he's been going through. People look at him and I think they're thinking, he's done. Like, he's not doing what we thought he came to do. This revolt from him, this revolution we thought he was going to lead, he's not here to do that. But, oh, Barabbas, ah, there's our revolutionary. Yeah, give us him, because he'll lead us to victory. See, Jesus never said, I came to lead this physical revolution. That's what the people wanted. Those were their expectations of Jesus. This is what Barabbas wanted. Jesus came to say, my revolution is very, very different than the revolution you're thinking about. It's not this physical revolution. It's this soul revolution. Again, these people were living on the expectations of Jesus. These are our desires of Jesus. These are our beliefs in Jesus. And when Jesus didn't meet their expectations, what were they willing to do? They were willing to move on to someone else. It was easy for them to give up on Jesus. I think about that event and a part of the Easter story, and I think it's pretty easy for us to give up on Jesus too. That, that we can say that we believe in Jesus and we want to follow Jesus, but only when Jesus meets our expectations. See, that, that's our problem. That's our struggle is that we see Jesus and we think Jesus is this magic elixir that if I follow Jesus, my life will be easy. That if I follow Jesus, everything's just going to fall into place. That's really some pretty bad theology. We think that if we believe in Jesus and we follow Jesus, these temptations that I have, guess what? They're going to go away. But what happens? They're still there. We think if we follow Jesus that our marriage will become perfect. But, but then we wonder, why, why am I still struggling in this relationship? We, we look at our parents, our, our parenting skills, and we're thinking, man, if I follow Jesus, parenting is going to be so simple. And yet we wonder, why do we still want to give our kids away every so often, right? We think if we follow Jesus, our life's going to be easier. But then our prayers go unanswered. Life gets harder. Our relationships are still failing. Those addictions are still present. Depression's not going away. And in our minds, we're like, but 
I have these expectations of what Jesus is going to do for me. And that never happens. And the reality is we don't fully believe in Jesus. We believe in, in me. That I have these expectations for Jesus that are only about me. But here's the deal. Jesus never said he came to make life easier. Jesus said, I came to make your life better. I came to give you hope. I came to give you peace. I came to give you my strength to guide you, to lead you, to fight for you, to fight with you when you need that. See, the purpose of Jesus was for a soul revolution to happen. For me to give up my expectations of Jesus and to fully follow Jesus. For me to give up my desires for Jesus and to fully follow wherever Jesus may lead me. But how do we experience this soul revolution in our lives? How do we experience this, this freedom that, that Christ came to give us? Well, let me share with you a couple of things here that I think are important that can help us. And it goes back to what we just read there in verse 23. How do we experience this soul revolution? The first thing we have to do is to choose a side. If you go back to verse 23, that's what Jesus says. You have to choose, right? There, there's no middle ground. You have to choose. Now, now when, it, when it comes to this thing about Jesus and following Jesus, there are actually three teams that we think are at play. There, there's Team Jesus, and Team Jesus, you know, we look at Jesus like, hey, Jesus is a good dude, right? I, I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus has done some really good things, said some really good things. I'm on Team Jesus. Some of us are on Team Jesus. And then we have, like, Team Satan, okay? And, and the, the group's walking around and has a T-shirt. It's like, I'm on Team Dunk. And let me just say, if you're here at the journey, um, man, we love you. And we are glad that you are on the spiritual journey with us. We hope we can change your T-shirt at some point in time. But, um, but some people are like, you know, I'm, I'm here. But then there's another group. And this group is Team Both, okay? Th this is the, the group that says, I'm going to pull for the Washington football team and the Cowboys. Can't do it. That is not an option. You think those are your options. You say, I'm going to keep my options open. But sadly, option number three is not an option at all. And for too many of us, we want to be kind of like the spiritual Swiss. The Swiss during World War I and World War II said we're neutral. They're like, we don't want any part of this. We're going to make some coffee. If you guys want coffee, come inside. We'll feed you. We'll give you a little bit of coffee. But we don't want our hands in any of this. And many of us feel like we're right there, that we want to choose option three. But Jesus says option three, it's not an option at all. He says you're either on my team or not, that there's no middle ground. There's no neutral position. And we all know this because you cannot pull for the Washington football team and the Cowboys. That's not an option at all. You have to choose, and you always choose the Cowboys. You win. Anyway, um, Thank you. One cowboy fan in here. Great. You guys don't even know what team you pull for anymore if you're Washington because the name keeps changing. But anyway, um, you got to choose a side, right? And Jesus says choose a side. Here's the second piece to this. You have to gear up. You have to prepare for the battles that are ahead. Um, we we kind of think if we, we follow Jesus that everything's going to be kind of comfortable and easy for us. I can promise you Team Dung is sitting by the wayside and waiting. Like, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus fully. And Team Dung's like, you, <laughs> we're still here, okay? We're, we're going to still try to bring you down. We're still going to try to, to scare you. We're still going to try to drive you from Jesus. And so we have to prepare. We have to gear up. Or as many of you know, you've got to put on your battle rattle, right? 
Paul talks about this in a letter he writes to this group of churches in, um, in a place called Ephesus. Uh, in Ephesians, this letter he's writing, he's actually in prison. And um, for Paul, every single day, 24 hours a day, there's a Roman soldier with him. And so this Roman soldier is either in the room with him, wherever he may be and wherever he may go, or this Roman soldier is actually chained to Paul. So Paul doesn't have any options but to look at this guy all the time. But as he's looking at this Roman soldier, he, he's beginning to see some pieces to this Roman soldier. He's like, ah, oh, this fits with following Christ because this Roman soldier has all this gear on. And, and that gear is there because if a war breaks out, there's a battle, if there's a fight, this soldier is ready to go to war. This soldier is ready to, to fight. And so Paul looks at this armor. In Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20, he talks about this battle gear. He, he talks about this, this belt of truth, this breastplate of righteousness, these shoes fitted with the gospel of peace, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, a sword of the Spirit. If this is good enough for a soldier to fight a physical batter, battle, then this should be what we'd be willing to wear in the spiritual battles we go through in life. Again, this is not physical armor that we wear, but it's just this part of, of who we are to protect ourselves from things that are happening in our life, to be able to deal with those, those fights that come. Because we're going to have that loss of a job. We're going to experience that illness, that disease. We're going to have family members that are going to pass. Uh, anxiety, addictions, broken relationships. See, those are the battles we're talking about here. And how do we handle those? Well, Paul's like, here's what you're going to need. You're going to need truth. And you're going to need faith. And you're going to need peace. And you're going to need righteousness. And you're going to need this salvation. You're going to need this Holy Spirit to lead you. And so for us to gear up in the soul revolution means we put these armor pieces on us and we live our life following Christ as we are geared up and ready for the battles that come so that we can fully experience the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. But then there's one more piece to this. We can't stay stuck. We can't just get to that place and say, hey, I'm good to go. I don't need to do anything else. No, we are called to do something else. We are called to move forward. We're called to advance. The night before D-Day, paratroopers from the 82nd and 101st Airborne, as you may well know, were dropped behind enemy lines. And the idea being, the purpose was to cut off Hitler's reinforcements while the, the beaches were being in, invaded. Now, if you know your history, you know those planes as they were flying over, they were being shot at. And so troopers ended up all, all over the place. And many of them were alone. Some of them were in small groups. Uh, they landed at night. They're in this countryside they know very, very little about. And most, most of these soldiers were extremely, extremely brave. Uh, there were a few, maybe not so much. One story is told that a captain and his men see this farmhouse and as they're coming closer to the farmhouse, they hear a lot of noise coming from inside. And when they get a little bit closer, they hear singing, and they're thinking, the Germans are in there. You know, we're going to overtake this farmhouse. But they snuck up on the house. They look in the window. And inside the farmhouse are paratroopers from the 82nd and 101st Airborne. They had found this home, and so they were holed up inside. But they found something else. They found the liquor in the basement. And they had all been drinking the liquor, and they were all drunk. Here's a group, small group, who knew they were at war, 
but they refused to act like it. Like they had stopped fighting. They had stopped moving forward. They had stopped advancing. They had given up. And Jesus says, look, when you get this freedom, when you realize what this freedom is, there's something you need to do. Part of the revolution command that Jesus gives us, after he comes back to life, he's crucified, he comes back to life, he spends about 40 days on earth, he's heading back into heaven, and he says these words in Matthew 28. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, which means he's the ruler now, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here in a few short moments, we're going to have some people come up here and we're going to baptize them. And they're going to get this paper certificate reminding them that you know, they were baptized on a, this particular day on Easter Sunday. But this passage, these words, are printed on that certificate as a reminder like, this isn't the end. This is really just the beginning. Like, you're getting to experience this, this freedom in your own soul, the soul revolution. And now our job is to make sure the world around us gets to experience that same thing, too. That this isn't about your expectations. This isn't about my expectations of Jesus. This is fully following Jesus to the point of saying, I'm free, and now it's my job to go and help free others. See, I love these action words Jesus uses. Go, make, baptize, teach, tell them to obey. These aren't things where you just sit back and you watch. These aren't things you just sit back and wait. These are things that you go and you do. Because we know the battle's out there. We know that fight is there. If we go back to that story, there's two sides that we get to, to choose from. And our world's experiencing it too. Our family members, our friends, the people we work with, the people in our community, like they're going through battles themselves. And maybe they're looking for freedom. And we know where that freedom actually comes from. It's the story of Easter. It's a day like today. And if we're a follower of Jesus, this isn't something we just celebrate once a year. This is something we celebrate every single day that we live. We, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Death happened to every single revolutionary before Jesus and after Jesus. The only one that came back to life was Jesus, which frees our souls. And with that freedom, we can work to free others too and introduce them to the same revolutionary that we have come to know ourselves. That's why I love these words in John 1, 5. John writes, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. That's Jesus. The light in the darkness, the, the light in the troubles of our life, the light in the struggles that we have. Jesus shows up and brings light to what we think is dark. Jesus brings freedom to this life where we feel like we've been chained for so long. It's so cool this morning like we did in the first service, we're going to watch a group of people say, hey, we're free. Now, we're free. We're, we're free in Christ. We're a part of this soul revolution. We are all in. And in fact, we want to make sure you know that and you see that happen today. In our first service, we had um, two people scheduled and uh, one person was like, hey, I want to do it today in my clothes. And we baptized her today. 
This is the same thing I'm going to invite you to today also. Maybe you're here and you're going to be a part of this baptism ceremony. Maybe you're here and you're like, you know what? I need to be free. I want to experience that in my own spiritual journey. I'm going to pray here in a second. And if that's where you are, I'm going to invite you to come up here. And we'll pray for you and we'll have you repeat a little bit after us. And we'll baptize you in your clothes. You will never forget Easter Sunday getting baptized in your clothes ever again, right? We're inviting you to do that today too. But more than anything, I'm inviting you to that freedom. Some of us were followers of Jesus, and we know that freedom's there, but maybe we haven't fully held on to it. And maybe today's a reminder for us that the Easter story is all about truly knowing what that freedom looks like. And maybe others of us, we haven't experienced that freedom yet. Maybe today's the day you're fully free through Jesus. And again, we invite you to do that as we baptize this group of people this morning. Let me pray. Again, if you want to be baptized and you're here this morning, just come up here. We'll, we'll get you in here. We will dunk you with everybody else. We're going to get our baptism people ready. But more than anything, remember that the story of Easter is a story of freedom and the soul revolution that Jesus led 2,000 years ago that still is on today and will be on until he comes back again. Let's pray. God, we are grateful. We are thankful we are um, amazed at how you work and the things that you do and how you lead our life. God, we can get so caught up on our expectations for Jesus that we, we, we paint Jesus a, a certain way. And God, that's not who Jesus is. Jesus isn't for us to control. Jesus isn't for us to give our desires and hopes to. Jesus is to lead us. And for us to fully give up our lives to him, to lead us so that we can have hope and peace, so we can have that faith and that righteousness, that salvation, and God, your spirit living in us. You've called us to follow Christ. You've called us to put on our battle rattle. And God, then you've called us, you've commanded us through Christ to go into the world and make a difference in others' lives, to set more and more people free. And God, we're excited this morning to see this group of people as they continue to take their spiritual journey, as, as they continue to follow you, as they continue to experience the freedom that only comes through Jesus. And we celebrate that this morning here on Easter. In Jesus' name, amen.